Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagiri. And today I have a very, very special project prepared for Connor. Uh, it's a, a tournament of, of some sort, if you will, talking about some of the past episodes that we've had on this show and talking about the best supporting actor category, specifically winners. So super excited to get into that in a little bit. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, after that, we will do some awards for uh, Come and Get It, 1936. This is uh, the ninth Academy Awards. This is the first time they introduced the Best Supporting Actor category, and Mr. Walter Brennan won the first of his three gold statues. Very, you know, It's the only guy to ever do it. There's no, nobody else has three of those. And that's, uh, you know, he, puts, he cemented himself in Oscar legacy, you know, uh, Oscar history. And uh, I, I like finding out about those things for myself. So we both watched Come and Get It on Amazon Prime. Decent flick. You know, it's not great, but not bad. You know, there's some fun stuff going on. Um, it it could have been a lot worse, you know, with these 30s movies. We were just saying before we started recording, these 30s movies, you just never know. Sometimes it'd be like a total crap shoot. So I'm happy to say that we both found something in it. Yeah, it's no Shanghai Express, but it's also no She Done Him Wrong. So it's like right in the middle. Exactly. That's a great point. I was going to bring up those two examples of it, it can go poorly or it can, you know, go in the middle or it can go good. This one's in the middle. Uh, it's not not something I'm probably going to watch again, you know? Yeah. Or like I'm not going to buy it, but I'm glad I've seen it. I'm glad I've seen this piece of Oscar history because Walter Brennan is uh, is one of the most winningest guys of all time. Yeah. And I got to see a little bit more of uh, Edward Arnold's work, a guy who I uh was introduced to when I watched you can't take it with you. And since then I've, uh, I've really gotten to like this guy as yeah. a thirties performer, definitely a guy whose work I'm going to be exploring in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that he's got like massive presence, big, big personality on the screen. And yeah, I'm also really into him and he's something, somebody that we'll definitely be bringing up later during our awards. Uh, after we do the awards later on, we'll look at the Ninth Academy Awards and just kind of make fun of the categories. You know, these old uh, Oscar ceremonies, it's just like there's there's no rhyme or reason to what's going on. It's kind of fun to just look at. Yeah. Uh, but uh, on, on before we have fun, I do think it's important to reflect on some things and reflect on some of the people that um, give us a reason to have conversations about movies, right? Um, Louise Fletcher passed away recently, right? Uh, we are recording this. We are recording this on Saturday night. I think she passed away on Thursday, was it? I think or so. I think it was Thursday. Uh, she passed away at age 88 um, at her home in France. She, she passed away in her sleep with family like surrounding her. So that's like the ideal way to, you know, get sent off to wherever we go after this. And, um, you know, she's an Oscar winner for her role in uh, One for the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, Nurse Ratchet, one of my favorite movies of all time. Certainly one of my favorite Best Picture winners, and one of my ba- one of my favorite Best Lead Actress winners ever. You know, uh, Louise Fletcher. I had no idea who she was till I saw that movie as a teenager, and she just has a tremendous uh, hold on you in that movie and as a, as a performer. Um, you know, and then you and I were just talking about how many people we've lost this year, specifically in the in the movie realm. You know. Um, Right off the bat, in my mind, the people I think of that I'm like, holy shit, that sucks are, you know, like Peter Bogdanovich and Jean-Luc Godard and Sidney Poitier, you know, these 
just people mean a lot to me. They're a big reason why I lo- I've fallen in love with this stuff. And, you know, I feel, feel fortunate to have like a place to talk about them. Uh, not just to mention their names, but watch their movies, watch their Oscar nominated or Oscar winning movies. You know what I mean? So uh, it's, it's been rough, you know, uh, the only, the one truth that, that we all have while we're here on earth is we're going to die at some point. And this generation, as they get into the, you know, their eighties and nineties, it's just inevitable. And so you have, uh, you know, cinema, you know, exploding in the, you know, thirties and forties. And, and so of course these people who were working in the, you know, sixties, seventies, eighties, you know, they watched it growing up, then they became, they became the, the cream of the crop, you know, and, and then they get old and then they die. And so we're, we knew this was coming, right? Like the, the, these few years have been rough as far as being a movie fan. Cause you're like, Oh my God, every fucking week, there's somebody, you know, super important leaving us. And it's just, it's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. We're going to continue to lose this generation of amazing talent. So, um, just want to kind of, you know, talk about some of these people, you know, Louise Fletcher is definitely someone that jumps out to me just because I'm so obsessed with her as Nurse Ratchet. Uh, who are some people that you this past year that you're just kind of like, God damn it, you know, like just it hurts. I was uh, and still am remarkably shocked about Ray Liotta. Yeah, yeah. That came out of nowhere. And it was weird that like Ray Liotta, James Conn and Tony Sirico happened all around the same time. It was like a yeah. like massacre and that just really hurt me because i'm a big fan of you know kind of the gangster trifecta of you know the godfather goodfellas and the sopranos yeah it's weird that that happened all at once and then there was you know gilbert gottfried yeah came out of nowhere that was a goddamn bummer he was only 67 funny motherfucker philip baker hall amazing yeah. character actor like it's been just a non-stop like massacre and i don't i don't i, I don't care for it it's really bumming me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that. And you, you know, the like cynical part of me is like, well, who's next, you know, like who's, cause it's just, it, it keeps happening over and over. It sucks watching these people that you and I have gone back and studied and fall in love with, you know, as performers or directors or writers, whatever it may be. And uh, yeah, I think that Ray Liotta one, because he's younger than, yeah. you know, when, when you get to age 90, you're Jean-Luc Godard. You've lived a full fucking life. You've seen everything like a person can see inside of a century. You know, Ray Liotta did not, you know, and that's like super unfortunate when that happens. And uh, I definitely was hit hard by that one. Um, I remember we brought up those guys, like you said, the kind of gangster trifecta there. We brought them up uh, whenever that happened. I guess it feels like a couple months ago now. Um, yeah, it, it fucking sucks. I think I think it gives you, uh, you know, the the way people are, it gives you a reason. If you haven't, it gives you a reason to go back and watch them or watch their work. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that sucks, but that's just kind of the way it is. You know, there is like, they, they don't love you till you're dead or you're gone, you know, type thing. And uh, that's just how people are. We all have our own lives. We get, we get really wrapped up in our own shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm like, okay with that. You know, uh, luckily you and I will like care so much about it that we watch things like we, we, 
we did a episode on eyes without a face and we were talking about Jean-Luc Godard. Then like a week later he died. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I didn't wait till he died to like watch, watch his stuff and like fall in love with that. Or Sidney Poitier, we like did episodes on his movies before he passed away. Peter Bogdanovich, we talked about the last picture show literally weeks before he died, you know? So like, that's, that's just like something that we care so much about. So we're going to be hit pretty hard when these, when it's just like wave after wave. Well, I always take comfort in the fact that, you know, these people left their mark on culture in such a powerful way that they'll never actually be gone. And we have an avenue here to explore their work consistently and as often as we want to, so that they never really leave us. And I'm very happy we have that. And, you know, I want to honor these people in the best and only way that I really know how, which is this. Yeah, which is this. That's right. And, you know, uh, this project that I've set up is a way to honor some people who are not with us anymore and honor some people who are still with us and working. And also a way to kind of look back at our show, uh, specifically Oscar Sunday, and kind of look back at movies that we tackled and conversations we had that I can still remember in my, you know, in my head, they still rattle around and uh, they're, they're like really important to me, you know, as, as your friend and as a movie fan, like these conversations and these people that I have uh, in this tournament that I set up, I, like I can pinpoint the episode and like what, why we talked about them, you know? Uh, so uh, the, the best supporting actor category, you and I have always said that this, and the best original screenplay are kind of like our, our two favorites, probably, you know, of course we love best picture. We love best director, you know, best actor. But there's something about, you know, a really good screenplay. And there's something about a heat check performance from a dude who just comes in and steals the movie that we both really, really like. Yeah, that's damn right. I, I love the, you know, where the character actors shine and where original creative work shines. And those are just, you know, that's my bread and butter. I always look forward to where those are going to go. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So this category, thank God, started at the ninth Academy Awards, 1936. Uh, The ceremony was actually in 1937. So that's out of all the Oscars, out of all the ceremonies, that's 86 ceremonies. Um, One guy, Mr. Walter Brennan, has won that award three times. It's just (laughs) unprecedented. No one does it. Um, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of amazing. Like that's that's the guy, you know, that Walter Brennan is like the supporting actor goat. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's seven people who have won it twice. This is a really, really cool group of people. You have uh Mahershal Ali, who's done it very recently with uh Moonlight and Green Book, Michael Kane, who's done it with two roles that I don't really care for, even though I love Michael Kane, uh Hannah and her sisters and uh <laughs> Cider House Rules. You know, that's fine. Like, but he's got better stuff. Yes. Uh Melvin Douglas. Uh, he won for HUD and Being There, which are two movies I've seen just very recently. And uh man, HUD is awesome. <laughs> so fucking good. I had no idea that uh I was gonna like it as much as I did. Uh Anthony Quinn, it's a guy we both we both really, really dig. We've talked about on this show before, and we will be talking about him very soon. Uh Jason Robarts. One back-to-back, 1976 and 1977 for All the President's Men and Julia. Love that guy to death. Talk about talk about his role in All the President's Men. You know, just fucking... He, he's the definition of he comes in and the movie changes. And from there on out, you know, uh, the way he 
puts his feet up on the desk as he's reading over, you know, uh, he's editing this, you know, these, these, these columns, and these articles that his, his writers are writing. And he's like, nah, not good enough. Get more, get more fucking evidence. You know, <laughs> uh, Peter Ustinov, he's another guy who won twice. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Spartacus, you know, uh, that guy's a legend. And the last one is Mr. Christoph Waltz, who won also recently for a couple Tarantino films bastards and uh django unchained so that guy that guy rules as well that's a good list of motherfuckers right there um yeah, that's seven dudes i'll go to bat for you know uh and i most of them i like what they did i like the work they did you know to get the win you know christoph waltz deserved that shit you know what i mean uh Mahershala Ali is is awesome in moonlight and green book uh melvin douglas great stuff you know anthony quinn these guys deserve this stuff so they're like i get it so you have the one guy winning three times, Walter Brennan, those seven people winning two times, and then 69 guys have won the award once. That's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, you know, a um, lot of history, a lot of movies to watch. And you think about all the people they beat and you're like, there's an endless, you know, catalog here of Oscar nominated supporting actor, you know, um, people that, you know, you could watch the movies that they're in and kind of tell, see it for yourself, you know, um, I know you and I pay attention very closely to that category. And uh, every year as the Oscars come closer and closer, I'm kind of like, that's the one I get most jazzed for. Uh, Very recently, we've seen some really amazing guys win that award. You know, Troy Kotzer for Coda and Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah and Brad Pitt for, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like it's it's a strong category and you usually get something legit out of it. You know, sometimes they fuck up best picture. They fuck up this or that. I feel like best supporting actor, usually they give it to someone who at least deserves a shot, you know, deserves a little, little spotlight, you know? Oh, damn right. When you were listing out the, the multiple winners, all I could think of was imagine that heist. Yeah, exactly. Those seven guys. Come on. Yeah. Cause then you're combining, you know, eras of acting, you know? You're, com- you know, you're combining things that, you know, P- Peter Ustinov and Christoph Waltz in the same movie. <laughs> that's too much to ask, <laughs> honestly. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's really cool. But uh, some of those guys I named will show up on this uh, this this tournament. There's 16 guys here. You know, I had to, you know, at first I was like, let me just fucking break Connor. You know, like, let me pick the 16 ones that I think he thinks are the best and match them against each other and make him just fucking sweat. (laughs) But then I was like, you know, I think it'd be cool to make another bracket, just kind of like keep practicing and see which ones I think are are the most unique. I made a bracket of 16 guys that we have talked about on this show at some point in the past, you know, we're on episode 121 here. We got a guy as far back as episode eight, a little whiplash action. We got a guy as we got a guy from, you know, last week, you know what I mean? Like, you know, with Mr. Benicio del Toro from traffic, you know, like we, we've got the whole show here in this bracket represented by supporting actors. That's amazing, man. That's so cool that we, you were able to put that together. That's, that's really neat. Yeah. I was up, I was up, I was up late the past couple of nights, just trying to like figure out what, what would be the most unique, you know? And of course I tried to do it pretty random as far as how the matchups are. Cause I kind of know, where your mind's at with some of these guys. I know which ones you, you dig and which ones you don't. So I tried to, you know, space it out a little bit, give, give guys a chance, you know, to, to get their, you know, their conversation. in. so 
Um, we can start whenever you're ready, man. Fuck yeah, let's do this. All right. Um, matchup one. Let's bring up Mr. Mr. J.K. Simmons from Whiplash. Uh, that was episode eight. We had no idea what we were doing with this show, and we were churning out these fucking banger fucking movies. Like, you know, we, we came out of the gate with Pulp Fiction and, you know, Rocky and Whiplash and On the Waterfront and Fight Club, you know, these movies that we both adore, you know, we both adore. And honestly, one day we will do, we will redo, especially a movie like Whiplash. Because we didn't even give awards out to it. We didn't know exactly what we were doing. We were both just like fucking stroking the movie. Like, yeah, I love this. You know, we didn't know what else to do. You know, it's just like, it's one of those things where we didn't quite know what Oscar Sunday was going to be. And now we do. And Whiplash will get its time. One, You know, th- there will be a time. Maybe when Babylon comes out. Fuck it. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll fucking. I'd rather do that than do La La Land. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I find it actually kind of funny. Like looking at our entire catalog. The only show that was completely fully structured out the gate is Beyond the Bad, the one where we yeah. talk about shit movies, which is ironic. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond the Bad has the has the the advantage of seeing everything else yep. and being like, ah, okay. Yeah, I can take from you and you and make this thing perfect. And now Beyond the Bad's like 40 episodes in and just doing doing fantastic stuff. Uh okay, so JK Simmons, he's gonna go up against <laughs> Michael Caine, 1986, Hannah and Her Sisters. Uh, that was episode 110. We talked about Platoon. And uh, with Platoon, you know, of course, we went into the best supporting actor category and our, our guy, Willem Dafoe, you know. So Michael Caine won that year and we both were like, nah. So I think I know you're going with this matchup, but uh, go ahead and talk about it. I feel like Terrence Fletcher would verbally disintegrate Michael Caine's character and Hannah and her sisters in less than five minutes. That guy was such a weenie, such a weasel little man. And I just, I never understand. Like there's this insane idolization of Woody Allen. I've never understood when it comes to the Oscars. And it's not just screenplay. It trickles down into every other category. Yeah. Yeah. And that's bullshit. Especially when Defoe and Behringer are acting their fucking asses off in a movie like Platoon. So absolutely, J.K. Simmons takes this. It's no contest. I love Michael yeah. Caine too, but I mean, you know, if I were, you know, I'd I'd I'd, I'd want to be rewarded for my best work, not for like Woody Allen's latest piece of shit. Okay, so yeah, I, I love that. You know, Michael Caine. Yeah, I'm 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 like on the exact same page as you with with Michael Caine. I like we do not want to bash him here. We're just kind of bashing that that role got him one of his two wins. It just sucks because his two wins, like the other one's worse. The Setter House rules. His accent's a joke. He doesn't even look like he's trying. The movie's not very good, you know. Um, but he's a guy. He's got you know he's got multiple nominations. He he was up uh, for Alfie, nineteen sixty six, Sleuth, nineteen seventy two, Educating Rita, nineteen eighty three. Uh, he won Hannah and Sisters and Setter House Rules, and then he was nominated again for The Quiet American. You know he's got four best lead actor nominations and two supporting actor wins. So like this guy's got a huge resume, you know, it's, it's hard to stack those up. Uh, the other, the other stuff's just like, just better. He was, I, you know, I think he was way better as a supporter in the dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. hundred percent. Like that should have, if he's going to get a nomination for anything, I would have, you know, I would have given him one for Batman begins probably. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Whereas JK Simmons, it's one and done, baby. It's oh one and done. He, 
it's it's his lone nomination, his lone win, and that's just fine. He did. He was nominated for being the Ricardos last year. Oh yeah, I forget about that one. Just last year. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that movie. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a very well earned. It, it was more like, hey, he's a past winner now, so we got to pay attention, which is kind of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. But I, for, I forgot about that movie altogether. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> um, Aaron Sorkin, you're so much better than what you've been doing lately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I find it just amusing that J.K. Simmons basically had to buy like three cabinets to just fit all the fucking awards he got for Whiplash. Right, and, that's that's his baby, yeah. And this Oscar is smack dab right in the center of that just incredible ensemble there. So yeah, it's one of the most deserved Oscars in history and a truly frightening, unforgettable character. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite supporting wins of all time. So he's going to be tough to beat. Um, let's see, we'll go to the other side of the bracket here. Next matchup, here's another Here's another one that I just feel like is going to be really easy for you. Um, we have uh, Mr. Javier Bardem from 2007's No Country for Old Men. That was episode 85. We talked about that movie uh, on a Best Picture Showdown. We basically talked about No Country and There Will Be Blood for like two hours. Uh, my favorite like head-to-head best picture showdown of all time, uh, not just on this show, but in the ceremony's history. I think those two movies on almost any given year have have a, have a say in winning that award. And Harvey Bardem just absolutely lights out as Anton, right? He's another frightening, frightening villain. Villain. Uh, him and JK are really going for it as like two of the best villains of the century. So, uh, you know, his matchup... <laughs> Uh, it's tough you know his matchup is against uh george shakiris from west west side story <laughs> 1961 that was episode uh 80 we talked about west side story as a best picture uh movie best picture showdown 1961 both of us had west side story i believe fourth on our list we both i think we had the exact same top five from that year which would be fanny number five by a landslide west side story uh, Guns of Navarone, uh, The Hustler, and Judgment of Nuremberg. Damn. Yeah, we both we both had the exact same five. I remember remember that because it was it was that was a unique episode because we both feel very strongly about Judgment of Nuremberg, and we both really like The Hustler. You know, and Guns of Navarone is pretty cool too. Yeah, and West Side Story is a joke. Uh, <laughs> This is so. This is basically a actual, you know, Hispanic Latin actor versus a Greek that they painted brown. <laughs> so <laughs> interesting. Yeah, not not my cup of tea. Uh, oh, West Side Story. Uh, what's funny is you know this movie, West Side Story, has you know it, it's like one of the biggest Oscar movies of all time. And here we are on Oscar Sunday, this show, and we just bash the shit out of it. You know, <laughs> that's because I feel like everybody who idolizes West Side Story is either ninety or has not seen it. <laughs> Yeah, and then I don't know people who like kind of skip over the brown face thing. It's just like okay, well you're you you're being unfair. You're being unfair because if you it if there's a movie out there that you don't like that does something politically completely incorrect, you're gonna you're going to attack it at that you know at that perspective. Like oh, this movie did blackface, or this movie did had, had you know this racist character, or whatever it may be. Because you like it, you're like, yeah, let's not talk about that. It's like, well, no, let's talk about it because it matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, 
what's one thing I did respect about the remake is that they actually did use actual Puerto Rican characters or actors, and I respected that big time. Uh, anyway, Javier takes this by a million miles. I mean, come on. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I don't see- have any beef with George Shakiris, but I just, I, I feel bad they painted him up. Yeah, I, I do too. It's like not technically his fault or whatever, you know. Um, it's just the, the way it went. Uh, and, you know, he's fine in the movie. You know, he's the leader of the the sharks. And uh, like, I, I think. I don't <laughs> fucking remember. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he is, you know. <laughs> I also just don't care. Like, I'm not the person to ask about like musicals from that era. I just don't care. Like the Jets versus the Sharks thing. I don't care. Like, it just doesn't matter to me. It's not a big deal to me. Watching guys dance and fight, like, but not really fight. I'd rather watch The Godfather, you know? (laughs) Although they all bleed together. They're all similar stories and just, and a lot of them have a lot of racist shit too, which I find kind of weird. Like I see that in musicals more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, So Harvey Bardem moves on. He's a four-time nominee uh, before Night Falls in 2000. He was up for best lead. He won for No Country for Old Men, Best Supporting. Uh, he was up in 2010 for Beautiful, Best Lead Actor again. And then being the Ricardos, here it is again, uh, just last year. So, uh, yeah, God, being the Ricardos, getting getting brought up twice is, is crazy. Yeah, we might be the first people to talk about that movie in like a year. I, I think you're right. I think you're right, my man. Um, okay. This one's this one's I think is is in my opinion kind of a landslide, but it's it's a fun one to talk about because you got you got uh, on one side you have Gene Hackman from uh, Unforgiven, nineteen ninety two, that was episode sixty, another Best Picture Showdown where we both got to talk about Unforgiven and um, fucking uh, a few good men, uh, Howard's End, uh, The Crying Game, and fuck, what's the other one? Uh, What's the fifth movie from 1992? I feel like I like it. I, fuck. Because. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it right now. Yeah, because I wasn't huge on the crying game. I thought Howard's End was fine. I really like, of course, I love A Few Good Men and I like Unforgiven. Oh, A Scent of a Woman. Scent oh, fuck, woman. yeah, Scent of a Woman. Yeah, I think you ended up putting that like number one or two. I think my number one was a few good men. Same. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I think it was like number three, but I I liked Sentable Woman way more than I thought I was gonna like it. And that yeah. was fun, so yeah. So that was we got to talk about Gene Hackman. He 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 really he's one of those guys, it's like he has almost too much screen time to be calling him <laughs> a, a supporting actor and unforgiven. He is fucking lights out in that movie. And he's going going up against the man we're gonna be talking about today, Walter Brennan, 1936. Come and get it. <laughs> what was it and then of course that of course is uh, episode 121 the episode we're doing today uh his name is swan swan bostrom i yeah oh okay <laughs> so let's get into it gene hackman and unforgiven he didn't need to be there he didn't need to go that hard but i don't think he yeah. knows how not to go that hard because he's gene hackman yes yeah, he's outshining almost everybody in that movie as this, you know, scumbag crime boss who has a mix of good points from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird when your hero is a mur- is a murderer and your bad guy's a crime lord. It's like, who the fuck am I supposed to root for here? That's that's the like coolest part of Unforgiven is that that like weird um 
storytelling that it does in your mind of warping you and kind of putting you into a trance of like i'm rooting for horrible horrible people (laughs) i love the way that movie just kind of you know shows that there are no real heroes of a chaotic world like that everyone just does what they need to do to survive and some people will do way more you know some people are capable of way more than others uh, I wish more Westerns took that approach because, you know, so many Westerns are black and white. And I don't mean like filmed black and white. I mean, like, you know, morally black and white. But uh, yeah, yeah. Unforgiven broke that fucking mold. Whereas Walter Brennan, this is my introduction to this guy. And I got to say, the fuck <laughs> um, this fucking horrible Swedish accent. He's this annoying kind of, you know, parasitic character I don't really care for. And Gene Hackman, like by a lot, <laughs> takes this one. Yeah, yeah. This is this is kind kind of a landslide here. Uh, you know, Gene Hackman, this guy. I fucking love this guy. Uh, he's nominated for Bonnie and Clyde, nineteen sixty seven. I never sang for my father, nineteen seventy. Uh, he won Best Actor in a Lead Role for The French Connection, a Best Picture winning movie. Uh, he was nominated again in nineteen eighty eight for Mississippi Burning. And his final nomination and final win is Unforgiven 1992. He's probably one of my 10 to 15 favorite guys to ever do this. I'm obsessed with him from, from Bonnie and Clyde to like the Royal Tenenbaums. I'm just, everything in between is, is gold to me. Um, and Unforgiven, man, he's, yeah, like he's, you put it best. He does not need to do what he's doing. Like he could have phoned it in and been like, I'm fucking Gene Hackman, but he's like, I'm going to act my ass off. I'm going to be better than everybody in this movie, you know, include, including Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman. He's like, I'm going to outshine all of you. And he, and he did. The thing I've noticed more than anything doing this show is I think the thing I respect above all, especially with performers is a work ethic. These guys, Gene Hackman, baby. Yeah. yeah. It's my job and I'm going to do it right. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. You still picking your feet in Poughkeepsie? uh yeah i love love gene hackman uh any excuse i get to talk about him i'm going to take um all right here we go let's get a real one let's get a real real matchup here in the first round this would be uh brad pitt once upon a time in hollywood 2019 we talked about him on episode 114 when we talked about once upon a time in hollywood great episode had a lot of fun there i matched him up against someone that's just a couple episodes later we did a little film called Coming Home, and Mr. Bruce Dern was up for Best Supporting Actor, and he lost to Christopher Walken, 1978's The Deer Hunter. Brad Pitt versus Christopher Walken is two of the coolest motherfuckers to ever do this. I had to put them against each other. Oh, that's that's a character actor match made in heaven. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is just kind of taking like the Robert Redford mold, adding his own spin on it and just creating this really cool character who you 100% believe has gotten away with murder and is just there to help. It's like, he knows he got away with something horrible. So he's like dedicating this next half of his life to like, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Rick Dalton's go-to guy. Anything he needs. If I got to get, you know, pick up his car, or murder hippies for him, I will do it. <laughs> and he's great. He's just such a, a, a cool character. He's suave. He's awesome. <laughs> Throws Bruce Lee into a car. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and walk in the deer hunter is 
such a disturbing performance. This character is just so fucking sad. Just everything he goes through and what he ends up as because of how he's so fractured by what he's been through. It's such a b- believable and fantastic performance. Oh, man. <laughs> this isn't fair. Yeah. This is why we do it. Because I think he is doing a bit more, I'm going to give it to Walken. I, I figured that's where you'd end up going, even though uh, you have to kind of, you know, talk talk yourself into it type thing, because yeah. th- this is a good matchup. It's two different two different styles for sure, but two guys who have the same kind of charisma of just, I'm always going to make the movie better, whether it's whether it's silly or not, you know. Um, you know, Christopher Walken, one of the things I point out about him that that's like, like it's just like unfair how good he is. It's like there, there's this movie directed by Barry Levinson called Envy with Jack Black and Ben Stiller. It has no business like being a real movie, but Christopher Walken is going for it so hard in that you're just like I can't help but you know just keep looking at what this guy's doing as the J Man. He he had he has that. He makes Wedding Crashers like a good movie. <laughs> like like he's able to put himself in a lower lower position like i'm christopher fucking walking but i'll do this and i will make your movie better because of who i am the charisma i have and the gravitas i have and brad pitt has a similar similar thing about him that no matter what they're going to bring the heat well walken has been openly you know he's, he's talked about it, like the way he picks movies and he just said like he doesn't turn anything down because he loves the process he loves making movies he loves doing this so he'll take anything because he believes he's, you know, he finds value in every experience. And I love that kind of outlook on life. Just, you know, mm. anything you do is going to add something to your life. That's a great way to look at things. Yeah, I agree. I look I agree at, with uh, that. I always think of mouse hunt when yeah. I, with, with walking. It's a movie about two brothers who inherit a house. It has a mouse in it and they try to get rid of the mouse and chaos ensues. It's basically like a live action Tom and Jerry, but um, they hire an exterminator named Caesar and, Walken is the exterminator. He shows up in like battle garb, like ready to go to war with this mouse. It's like, you got to think like a mouse. You got to act like a mouse. And of course this mouse fucks him up, but it is so funny. And he's so committed. Like he's like loudly lying to them. Like, yeah, you got his bestest. Like, so the mouse doesn't get wise to why he's there. And the brothers start going along with it. And he's like, what are you doing? He's not listening anymore. <laughs> it's so good. He doesn't need to go to commit as much as he does, but he does because that's who he is. Yeah, that is that is walking, you know. And I th- I've always thought walking has gotten kind of the kind of the shit into the stick uh, as far as the Oscars go. He's only got two nominations. Uh, he won for the Deer Hunter, and he was nominated for Catch Me If You Can. Uh, that's that's unfortunate, you know. I think he's got more to offer. Brad Pitt, on the other hand. Got a nice resume. Uh, he's nominated for 12 Monkeys, 1995. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button in 2008. Moneyball in 2011. Uh, he's technically a winner for 12 Years a Slave winning Best Picture because he's one of the executive producers. Uh, he was nominated again. Same thing for the big short as an executive producer. And then he won uh, his, his gold statue, his proper acting, performing gold statue for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Cliff Booth. Uh, but he's out of the tournament. Uh, that's awesome. Let's see. Uh, how about... Okay. Most of these are 
I'd say pretty tough. There's one left that I think you'll have an easy time with. So let's get that one out of the way and we'll move on to these, these gritty, gritty matchups. Um, these are two movies I really, really like both from the forties. Um, both movies we've, we've talked about um, on, on pretty big episodes. So uh, Walter Houston uh, and treasure the Sierra Madre. <laughs> we talked about him on episode 16 uh, Hamlet. We did a, did, did that as a best picture movie. We weren't doing the showdowns yet. We came back around in episode 87 and properly did the treasure of the Sierra Madre. That was a birthday pick for me last year or at the beginning of this year. Sorry. And uh, it feels like so long ago. Jesus. <laughs> well, it is. It's 34 episodes ago. Um, Measured time in podcasts now. So it's like me yeah. too. Yeah, me too. You know, that was episode 87. We're on 121. Whoa. <laughs> you know, uh, Walter Houston is is lights out. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Love him in that movie. Um the reason I think this is going to be easy is because he's going against Harold Russell from Best Years of Our Lives, 1946. Episode 65, a Best Picture Showdown. I really liked that movie, but I don't think you were as fond of it as I was. Yeah, that's that's I'm I'm on I'm on an island with that one, but I don't care. I'm comfortable. Um, yeah, Walter Houston in Sierra Madre is just the ultimate prospector. Just you know, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. there's gold in them hills. Like it's the perfect thing like he's just inhabiting inhabiting that role in a way i don't think anyone he could i love that you know his son john houston is directing him and his acceptance speech is basically like you know when i when my son told me he wanted to write i said you know write a good part for me and he's like thank you like fucking beautiful yeah yeah and he's just you know he knows exactly what's going on and what's going to happen between him bogart and the third guy whose name escapes me and he's just waiting to see how this plays out. Like he's got a contingency plan for all this. Cause he's, you feel like he's seen this happen so many times. He's seen the gold infect everybody he's ever worked with. And he's ready this time. It's great. And you just, you know, you buy him. He's this, he's this like sage of the mountain. Yeah. And Harold Russell, I love that he won because he wasn't an actor. Yeah. He was, he was just a guy. He was a vet who actually lost limbs in the war and was you know selected because he represented the veterans of world war ii and he was really good and he yeah. they gave him an honorary award just as a thank you yeah he fucking one best supporting actor yeah you got you got two statues yeah that's awesome uh but he's just you know he's he's i'm glad he won but walter houston is is transforming here and he's he's delivering just a memorable as hell performance in a movie that has just aged like a fine wine so it's it's walter houston yeah yeah i i agree with you for basically all the same reasons and that, that third guy is tim holt as curtain and treasures here madre walter houston as howard and of course mr bogart and one of my favorite snubs of all time as fred c dobbs uh love fair, that movie to be fair when you're the third guy between Walter Houston and Humphrey Bogart, people aren't going to remember your name. Uh, no, but I would have been okay with him getting a nomination. I thought he was great in that movie. Uh, you know, big, big, big fan of that one. It's become one of my like 10 favorite movies of all time. Thanks to this show. Thanks to you finding it at a gas station and buying it for me on DVD. <laughs> you know, that was, that uh, was a nice yeah. surprise. <laughs> yeah. This it's a staple in my life and something that I've rewatched just in my own time for fun or watch clips of it. You know, it's just, always gets me going um so yeah well uh harold russell that is that's it for him because he like you said he's not an actor he's he's a veteran and 
And that movie's so powerful because it's 1946. You know, it's right after World War II and just takes a different perspective on on, on things with uh, war movies. And I, I really respect it. I, I like that one a lot. Uh, Walter Houston, uh, he won that award, of course, in 1948, but he had three nominations before that. Uh, Dodsworth, 1936. All That Money Can Buy, 1941. And Yankee Doodle Dandy, 1942. Another movie we've covered on this episode, on this show. Uh, so yeah, Walter Houston's the man. His son is just as awesome. You know, uh, he really cool family. You know, it, it, if you start reading about it, you're like, holy shit, it branches out to like things, you know, Angelica Houston, there's different people, Jack. So uh, really, really respect him. You know, he's the man. So I'm glad he's moving on the next round. Uh, all right. We got three more matchups here for the first round. And there are some bangers. Next up, we got a big-time throwback, episode 15, Mr. Alan Arkin from Little Miss Sunshine, 2006. Uh, is there a funeral home around here? <laughs> uh, love that episode. Love that movie. It was so much fun to, t- to talk about that. That's one of those movies where it's like, oh, my God, we have a place to talk about a film like Little Miss Sunshine that doesn't really fit any you know specific genre or isn't you know a horror movie to go we couldn't talk about on filmgasm or anything you know so it's like oh that movie has a home now we can talk about movies like that uh these kind of underrated kind of uh david versus goliath stories where you know it was made for very little money did did very little you know um you know budgeting for a big big production it was like let's just make make a good story let's get some good actors let's, let's make a movie here and then it was a hit at sundance got bought and made shit tons of money and got oscar nominations you know and for alan arkin a win S- super cool and i love his performance as the grandpa he's great uh he's going against ben johnson 1971 last picture show baby love that movie we both responded to that one big time i want to say yeah that was episode I gotta think now. Episode seventy, because that was the best picture showdown for French Connection. Mm-hmm. We watched Last Picture Show, and we were like, "This is a good fucking movie." And this this is one of those where after after that happened, shortly after Peter Bogdanovich died, and we were like, "Damn!" Like we just talked about him, you know? Just talked about maybe his masterpiece, you know? And you know, Ben Johnson is nominated along with Jeff Bridges in that category. And both of them, you know, had an argument to win, right? They're both great. Uh, so I, I was like, I, I got to throw this guy in there because we both responded so much to Last Picture Show. Yeah, you're right. I watched that and then I watched uh, Paper Moon. Oh, pretty close to each other. And so good. Yeah. Um, God, I love Alan Arkin and Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, me too. Just this crotchety old grandpa who doesn't give a fuck, but is really trying to make sure his granddaughter gets the right kind of, of life advice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then just, you know, them <laughs> refusing to end their trip when he croaks and then just packing the body up and hoping they can deal with that when this is over. <laughs> that's that's what he would have wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is. That's the weirdest part. It's like, this is ex- these are exactly his wishes. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. I love, I love when he's like uh, talking to Paul Dano and he's like, are you fucking? <laughs> and Paul Dano's like, what? You know, he's like, you know, Paul Dano's like 16. And he's like, are you fucking? Like, that's when you got to get the good stuff. <laughs> he's like, he's going like, God, when I was your age, I was fucking all the time. 
it's like, <laughs> and then uh, uh, a little olive Abigail Breslin, she has her headphones on and they're like, oh, you can't be talking like that around her. And he's like, she can't hear a fucking thing. <laughs> and he's like, olive, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and then she like finally takes him off and is like, what are y'all talking about? Politics. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, Alan Arkin is lights out in that movie. I love our introduction to him is like the dinner table, and he's like, again with the fucking chicken, always with the goddamn chicken. It's, it's right there. You're like, oh, this is the kind of guy he is. Oh man, yeah, he's fucking wonderful. Oh, yeah. Um, and Ben Johnson in the last picture show, I he was good. I, I responded more to Jeff Bridges. I liked that part of the story more it was a very interesting film a very ambitious film that showed a a a side of teenage life in america that i'd never seen before which was really cool it's like american graffiti like mixed with a little like fast times at ridgemont high Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah bogdanovich was just a brilliant like he was so good at showing like the humanity inside of the propaganda yeah, that is really cool. Uh, and he was, you know, Dr. Melfi's therapist in The Sopranos for some reason. Like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Alan Arkin just because I, I like the character so much more. And I think he, you know, deserved it a little bit more. Uh, but The Last Picture Show is a really, really good movie. Yeah. And, and what's super cool about Ben Johnson is he was a stuntman and a double before becoming you know his own his own actor right like he was a uh, the guys he doubled for uh, and, and did stunts for was like, like john wayne and and gary cooper and james stewart like he was he, he was like really really liked by people so it was like fun to have him on set you know kind of opposite of, of cliff booth right <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a guy people like really liked to work with even if he was just there and so it's cool to see him get this role as Sam the Lion in the Boss Picture Show and win. Just like a, it's kind of like an underdog story. Like, oh, here's this guy who got his chance and he fucking took it. You know, like I, I respond to that, but I'm also with you that I think Bridges probably deserved the win just a little bit more. Like he he gives that movie an oomph that is like he he like tore me to pieces, Jeff Bridges in that movie and. Uh, I'll, like, I'll, I'll never forget watching that movie and talking about it on this show. Yeah. Jeff just got sidelined so many times until 09. But yeah, I'm glad he did eventually win one. And yeah. But uh, yeah, our, I do want to say real quick my favorite thing about this show is the insane scope of the kinds of films we get to talk about here. Like we get, you know, the goofy comedies, we get the historical epics, we get the occasional horror movie, we get the indie darlings, we get everything. Yeah. It's as long as they have that little touch of gold. It's yeah, so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Going from Little Miss Sunshine to the Ten Commandments to Gladiator, you know, like, cool, sign me up. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Uh, I'll do that show. Uh, Alan Arkin, you know, uh, Ben Johnson, that was it for him. That was his one nomination, one win. But Alan Arkin was... Nominated for The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, 1966. It's a movie I've always wanted to see. Never been able to check it out. Uh, 1968, again, for The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. And then there's a huge, huge gap, almost 40 years. And finally, he comes back around with a win for Little Miss Sunshine. And then he was nominated again for Argo in 2012. He's got a nice, nice little resume. A couple 60s movies and then a couple, you know, more, more recent movies. 
And uh, uh, Flynn Sun has always been my favorite thing he's ever done. So I'm glad he won for that. Next up, uh, here we go. Here, this, this big gap. We're going 2016 and 1953. Both Best Picture Showdown movies we've done. One of them is Moonlight from Rahershal Ali as Juan. And the other one is 1953's From Here to Eternity, Mr. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> That's an interesting matchup right there. Yeah, I thought so too. I was like, yeah, two completely different people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mahershala Ali. Uh, he has just exploded onto the award scene really fast. And yeah. I, I love that he's already got two. Uh, one, a little bit more deserved than the other, but that's not for today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I already liked him because I was a fan of House of Cards. And uh, he plays uh, Remy, like a lobbyist guy who gets, you know, into some bad shit. And he was just a smooth talking, like really cool guy. I believe that he would be able to sell, sit, like sell anything in Washington. Mm. And then to play this character of Juan, this just, you know, drug dealer with a heart of gold who wants to do the right thing by this pretty much abandoned child the only father figure he's got. It's just so heartwarming and touching. And he, he's barely in the movie, but his presence is felt throughout the entire thing because of the lessons he was able to put on this kid. It's, it's a great performance. And Frank, chairman of the board, <laughs> premiere of eternity, this is the movie that he allegedly had the mob get him involved in because... <laughs> You know, we've all seen The Godfather. That is what they were talking about. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and he's pretty good. Like, you know, I get why he won. He's a delightful little guy. But, you know, when you're when you're going up against Burt Lancaster, you better bring your fucking A game. <laughs> yeah. And Montgomery Clift. Yeah. Yeah. Like, bring bring the heat, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to give this to Mahershala because I think that he added more to the movie than I think Frank did from here to eternity. But frankly, it's just like everyone else is better than him. And that's not really, I mean, he's, you know, he's Frank Sinatra. We all know what his, his main skill is. I'm glad he wanted, you know, I'm, I'm happy he wanted to be an actor, but you could have, you didn't need to. <laughs> yeah, no, you're fine elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. You were doing just fine. Yeah. Frank Sinatra though. He's got, got a couple nominations uh, from here to eternity. And then, a couple years later, he was nominated for The Man with the Golden Arm, 1955, and he won the Humanitarian Award in 1971. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Mahershala Ali has yeah the, the win for Moonlight and the win for Green Book, two nominations, uh, two years apart, and two wins. And I would say he's going to be around for a very, very, very long time and has a chance to rack up more and more awards. I'd love to see him get more lead roles, right? Yeah. See if he can, see if he can crack that best actor uh, category. But man, that guy. Like talk about someone you can't look away from, you know. You just you just enamored by him. His presence is is super strong and one, you know me, it's like one of my favorite characters that that you can possibly bring up in conversation with me. I I love Juan. Uh, he's in the movie for like 13 total minutes, but the rest of the movie, you feel it like drastically. And that's, that's the mark of like a wonderful supporting performance. The very definition of heat check. Yeah. And I mean, he's, you know, he's fairly like new to the game. Like he's, he's just starting out and he's already catching up to Walter Brennan. 
So like, I yeah. feel like he's the guy who could eclipse him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, he like Marshall Ali is also a, a real handsome guy. I can't believe he's almost fifty. You fucking crazy. kidding me? Yeah, he's I thought he was in like 19... in his thirties. Yeah, he's born in 1974. He looks like he's 38. What the fuck? Never mind. <laughs> no, he's he's a, he's a late bloomer. He was a late bloomer. He didn't come on the scene until you know about a decade ago. You know, House of Cards is big for him. Place Beyond the Pines. He had a role in uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, you know, he, he of course does Luke Cage in 2016, and Moonlight was a big movie for him. And now he's going to be fucking Blade. So yeah, I'm super stoked. I love that guy to death. Um, he's one of my favorite guys working right now. And if I were to start a cast. He's one of the first few names I would be like, well, like we got to have something for him, you know, whether it's five minutes or the whole damn movie, that guy is going to do his job. Yeah. I feel like if you had like Hollywood clout and you were writing a movie, you'd be writing a character for him. Yeah, I, I see that. Absolutely. Yeah. And the whole heist thing, that's the guy I want on my heist team is Marshall <laughs> Ali. <laughs> uh, all right. Last matchup of the first round. Can't wait to see where you go with this. This is going to be really cool because I, if I remember correctly, on episode 105, when we did The Godfather, a little man beat three fuckers from that movie, Mr. Joel Gray from Cabaret, 1972. And we both were like, yeah, like, yeah, the guys in Godfather are great. But this guy is, is Cabaret. Like, he is putting on a literal show in that movie. I have him matched up against the movie we did last week, or the episode we did last week, sorry, Traffics, Benicio Del Toro from 2000. Oh my God. Yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. It really like shows me just how far I've personally come as a, as a film buff and the films I've gotten to throw into my own personal canon because of this show. But Cabaret and Traffic mm. a year ago were complete mysteries to me. Um, mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Those showdowns really force you to watch things you probably wouldn't have. Yeah, I never would have watched Cabaret, but fuck, it was good. <laughs> yeah, Bob Fosse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's cool. These two guys are kind of like playing to their strengths in these two respective movies, too. You know, you got Joel Gray as this, you know, flamboyant master of ceremonies and Del Toro as this hardened Mexican police officer who just has been through so much crazy shit. Yeah. Oh man. Oh mm-hmm. god damn. Um, this is tough. This is this is probably the toughest one. This one and that Brad Pitt versus Christopher Walken. Like these are the two toughest from this round. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I like that Del Toro actually like had to learn how to speak Spanish to do this role, and he learned it in a very believably fluent way. Whereas Joel Gray is literally just owning it like taking this potentially goofy character and just making him like king of the movie it's so cool like the master ceremonies is hilarious he's scary he's endearing he's awesome you can't wait for him to come back on screen i'm giving it to joel gray okay i like that that's cool i i'm a little surprised but i like that you're not taking recency biased and you're thinking about all right how did he affect me you know when it happened uh, Benicio del Toro is, of course, a guy we both really, really like. Joel Gray, this is a one and done type. Like, I, I don't know what else he's capable of, but he's damn good in that. I saw him play a very scary 
villain in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, you brought that up, didn't yeah. you? When we, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I, I was introduced to Joel Gray. So this was like, this really showed me the insane range that he has. And I don't really understand like why he's not considered one of the greats considering what he's capable of. Uh, and Del Toro, I know he's awesome. I knew yeah. I was going to like him in traffic. He's yeah. ass, but it's not really anything new to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's kind of doing, he's been doing that for like 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, if I love it. If it's not it's broke, great. you know, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like Sicario, he's like, yeah. That's like one of my favorite performances of the past, you know, of the 2010s. Um, all right. So Joel Gray, that's his one win, one nomination. Benicio Del Toro won for traffic and then was nominated again a couple years later or three years later for 21 grams. So, uh, yeah, I think the Academy was like, all right, man, we get it. You're Del Toro. You can do this uh, for the rest of your life if you want, but we're not going to keep nominating you because uh, you're kind of doing the same thing. <laughs> Did you know Benicio Del Toro is one of only five Hispanic actors to actually win an Oscar? Yeah, it's a goddamn shame. Goddamn shame. It's yeah, it's it's insane. Doing a lot of upsetting research lately. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, super upsetting. Um, I'm glad he's one of them, but there should be more. You know, yeah. it's that kind of that kind of thing. Be grateful for it, but also want more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, we knocked off some heavy hitters here in the first round. Uh, Michael Caine's gone. Benicio del Toro's gone. Harold Russell's gone. Brad Pitt's gone, Walter Brennan's gone, Frank Sinatra is gone, Ben Johnson, and George Shakiris. Uh, okay. All right, we're on to the next round here. Let's get it going. Uh, how about Walter Houston versus Christopher Walken? <laughs> All right. Sierra Madre versus Deer Hunter. Similar stories. You know? Yeah. Been pushed to the brink because of their own insane choices. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, I'm going to give this to Walter Houston. Okay. I, I think we both, we both are just like, yeah, that's, that's one of our movies now. <laughs> yeah, Sierra Madre has really just, you know, mined its way into my heart. Like it's looking for gold and I, I'll never forget it. I just love this guy. This guy who's like, you know, constantly with this little smirk of like, yeah, you sure about that? Like kind of <laughs> like he's not going to act, but he's going to he's going to take some precautions for himself. And then even in the end, when it all goes to shit, he's like, well, time to find another mountain. <laughs> like, he's, not yeah. living, he's not living for gold. He's living for the hunt. Yeah, I, I like that. I can. I can. Yes. Respect that. Yes. The journey. The journey takes Howard where it needs to go. Yeah. I, God, I love his character. I love when he just kind of relishes in the, the oh, when all the people start like, you know, treating him like he's a fucking mayor of their city. He, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to eat this up. Like they're giving me free food. I'm getting, I got my own horse now. Like, fuck it. Let's go. You know, <laughs> he's just a jolly old man. But, but his stuff, my favorite stuff from him is, is at the beginning of the movie, the foreshadowing that he's just speaking into existence yet. You know, these two guys, Curtin and Dobbs, they're like, I, I'm, I, we need money bad. And so we're going to do whatever it takes to do that. And it sounds like this old man might be crazy enough. And he's just like, you know, you sure about, you sure you want to do this? Like it's, it's a hard life. Gold changes a man. I've seen it. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. good. And they were like, Oh no, that won't happen to us. And Dobbs is like, I'm a straight and narrow fella. And then, you know, a week later, he's like, I'm going to kill all of you. If you even <laughs> look at my gold. it's yeah. He's been through this shit. I, I love that. Yeah. 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 It's fantastic. So Christopher Walken, 
good, good performance here, but uh, you know, you just got beat. Um, okay, well, we're gonna go right back to Joel Gray, 1972. Uh, he's up against J.K. Simmons. I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> I can only imagine the creative insults Fletcher would have for the Master of Ceremonies. Yeah, don't want to repeat them here. <laughs> no, oh my god. Uh, yeah, this is this is interesting. I <laughs> I have such loyalty to J.K. Simmons and Whiplash. It's just such an incredible, transformative, evil fucking performance. I I can't I can't fall. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, man. He's you, you know it. He's one of the guys. He's one of like I don't know, maybe four or five out of these performances where I was like, he's going to be in this bracket no matter what the fuck happens because I know we both respect him so so much you know i was toying with like you know christoph waltz and, and bastards and heath ledger in the dark knight you know what i mean like those ones that i know that will like break you i was like I, I simmons has to be here you know we talked about whiplash on an episode it's part of canon for uh, for our show and even if he wasn't <laughs> like we we gotta have him here he's he's the one that we both agree on more than anybody you know uh from this category yeah, exactly. You're damn right. And, you know, that movie is the gift that keeps on giving. Every time I watch it, I can't do anything else. Like, it, it is now, I'm so tuned in. I'm just, like, laser-focused. It's so mesmerizing. Yeah. You know, I, I actually watched the short the other day. And, and I was, like, the same. I was the same because he's, he's, he's playing Fletcher. You know, uh, Miles Teller's not in it. It's a guy named Johnny Simmons playing, playing, um, Playing the main, the the actual drummer, but you know it's 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 still J.K. Simmons like a hundred miles per hour going for it, and I was just like that just that just stole fifteen minutes from me, like, and I have no idea where it went. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite things about like entertainment and movies is when you get so distracted by it that the rest of your life becomes so secondary. It's like wow, <laughs> it's really really powerful. Those moments are so few and far between, but when they grab you, it's like being touched by an angel. It's an amazing moment where you're just like existing. It's fucking beautiful. And yeah, I long for those moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a drug. It's like a total drug that you like keep chasing. You're like, maybe this will give me it. Maybe this will give me it. Maybe. And and just, yeah, like you said, it's like one out of every, maybe 50 movies that we watch that like really does that to you. But when it does, you're like, wow, like <laughs> I have no idea where the past two hours went and I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, so Whiplash does that. It's done that for me like 15 times since it came out. You know, it's, it's an eight year old movie, but I, you know, it's a movie I try to watch a couple times a year just just because of that, that drug. I know I'm going to get a good hit when I go, when I go, to, when I go to Whiplash. Um, here's a good one. I think I know you're going to go, but I, I do like the matchup 2006 versus 2007. Alan Arkin versus Javier Bardem. Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is super, super evil motherfucker, you know, murdering everybody in his path. Um, and, you know, Alan Arkin, who's like this grandpa who does cocaine, but also loves his granddaughter. I don't know why, but I feel like Arkin in Little Miss Sunshine is the only guy who could actually get away from Anton Sugar. Just by like waltzing. Yeah, well, <laughs> he'd figure something out. He'd just be like, you know, like... Fuck off! I don't like. I don't want to buy anything, or just like just completely dismiss him. 
I don't, I would love to watch a short film of that. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of performance, Javier is turning in a career defining moment here that introduced, you know, introduced me to him as a performer and just made me fall in love with this guy's career. And I've been paying attention ever since. So yeah, in that, with that movie, Javier Bardem became one of my favorite actors. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. And I think, I think most English speaking, you know, fans like this was his coming out party to like, especially the Western part of the world, especially, especially in America. Yeah. It was Javier Bardem. He's in this Coen brothers movie, you know, the, the like the, like the whitest guys ever <laughs> making a movie about, uh, a, you know, a cat and mouse game that has an argument for being like one of the best cat and mouse movies of all time. One best picture. You know, he won best best supporting actor. He's getting the very best we've ever seen out of Josh Brolin. And uh, you know, it's it, it is a lights out performance that has some of the coolest, coolest scenes by just the just his just his dialogue, just the way he delivers, you know, the the of course the the like the gas station scene is like cemented in in time and history. And I yeah, I mean Alan Arkin's great, but this isn't really a contest. I love those long stretches with no dialogue. Like he, Anton doesn't need to say anything. He doesn't, you get the vibe yeah. that he doesn't even like to, he doesn't like to talk. He, he, he hates having to interact with people in any way. Yeah. To him, they're all just lesser cattle waiting to die. And yeah, the moment, you know, he just is in his own head. He's planning his own shit. And if you're paying attention, you can, you know, figure out the plan as he's doing it. And there's always that moment of like, Oh, that's what he's up to. And I love the Cohen's approach to that with no country for old men. Like they're so good at telling you exactly the right amount you need to know at all times. They've always done that so well. Yeah. They don't spoon feed you, but they also aren't going to like leave you in the dust. And that's like such a tough balance to find. And as I've gotten older, I've just realized more and more like I, they're, they're some of my favorite people ever to ever, ever do this. And, no country is probably their masterpiece. You know, it's probably the one where you're like, you know, I, I like Big Lebowski more. You know, I really, I laugh a lot harder at that one and in Raising Arizona, you know, of course, and Fargo's great. But there's something about No Country where you're like, no one else could even touch what they're doing here. No one else. Like, no one could even come close. And choosing to not have Carter Burwell come in and do a score for it. Fucking Tommy Lee Jones, you know, like, all three of those guys are just batting at a thousand percent, you know, and, and Woody Harrelson too, you know what I mean? There's, there's four guys going for it and Javier is the best of all four of them. That's really saying something. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a special movie and so mind blowing and, and like, you can't help but get invested and you just like every character pops those little moments. Like when, you know, uh, Moss finds the money and he's just like, Mm-hmm. it's kind of like grunting like shit <laughs> like now i gotta yeah. deal with it now this is happening <laughs> this is a yeah this is a part of my life that's my my one of my favorite lines from the whole movie is when he's laying in bed and he's just staring at the ceiling and she's like he, he gets up and she's like where are you going and he's like fixing to do something dumber than hell but i'm gonna do it anyways <laughs> yeah. fucking love it i love when he walks in with the with the suitcase she's like what's in the case he's like it's full of money she's like ha ha real funny yeah that's yeah <laughs> yeah god i love that movie probably the best texas movie of all time uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 
It's so good. I could talk about it all day, obviously. And that episode 85, oh, I'll never forget that one. Talking about that, there will be blood. Two of the greatest American movies of all time. And uh, Javier Bardem's a big part of that conversation. Um, all right, we got one more matchup in the second round here. Uh, Mahershala Ali, 2016, episode 35. That was, a, that was our third ever Best Picture Showdown. Pretty crazy. Uh, going against Gene Hackman, 1992, Unforgiven. <laughs> this is a cool matchup. <laughs> you got, you know, this is this is tough because this is where like the category. It's hard to like. What do you weigh? Because Gene Hackman's in a lot of Unforgiven, and Marshall Lee's not in Moonlight that much. It's true, but his, you know, you feel it. You do feel it. But little Bill Daggett, man, he's yeah, he's yeah. the boogeyman of the of the American West in Unforgiven. He's just this monster like when he's just kicking the shit out of richard harris and it's just like you know get out <laughs> it's like fuck man yeah uh, you know literally beating the shit out of like the you know the pulpy western cowboy shit just like this is bullshit and i'm gonna destroy it in front of everybody to show you what real evil really is and that's just how do you ignore that <laughs> I mean, yeah yeah. And it's just such a satisfying, you know, moment when, you know, the real Bill Money comes out and it's like, I'm taking this entire town down for what they did to my friend. It's like, you know, channeling that darkness for for good in a weird way and then just blowing him away. You know, what does he say? Like, he was, somebody's like, he was unarmed and Money's like, well, he should have armed himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, what a cool movie. I love Unforgiven. <laughs> I'm giving it to Gene Hackman. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, this one's really hard for me. Two of my favorite guys, but if I'm going based on that performance, I mean, how can you, how can you not go a little bill? Uh, my favorite scene is, is when they're in the jail cell and he's just duck, 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 just talking, talking, talking. You won't shut the hell up. Uh, but the things you're saying, you know, they, they really stir you up. They really make you think. And uh, Hackman, that is such a luxury to have in your Western is that guy at that age, at that stage in his career playing a supporting, supporting role. Like that's unfair. <laughs> yeah. He just, you know, I'm sure it was probably the chance, you know, to work with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Which is great. But again, you know, I just love that he did commit. He did turn in this, you know, all time great Western villain that is so slimy but so oddly seductive in the way he controls this town. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah. God. Ah, love it, man. This is great. We got a final four here. And these four are fucking awesome. We have JK Simmons versus Walter Houston and Javier Bardem versus Gene Hackman. Which one do you want to start with? <laughs> All right, let's do, let's do Simmons and, and Houston. Okay. <laughs> 1948 versus 2014. I'm, oh man, <laughs> this, this is great. So we've got, yeah, Walter Houston, just, you know, being being a awesome prospector and the smartest man in the room at all times, which is always a cool character. And then you've got Fletcher, who could give a rat's ass who the smartest man in the room is, as long as you're on his fucking time. <laughs> and yeah, I think we all know where this is going. But it's it's gonna be J.K. Simmons here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. <laughs> I just I love 
the commitment to just absolute sadism when it comes to teaching. Like, and the most fucked up thing is he gets really effective results. Like you can't argue with that. That's the worst part here is like what he's doing is horrible, but he is creating amazing musicians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that like the coolest part of the movie is that ending when Miles Teller is just like, he, he, he cues every, he's like, everybody back off. It's my time to shine. Cause that's, that's what a jazz musician, jazz musician does. They step into like the, that little, that little opening that you find and you take. And he's like, I'm taking it. Everyone else fuck off. And that's when JK Simmons does that thing where he's looking at him and he's like waving, like, let's fucking go. Like, I just, I just, I just got, I got gold out of this kid, you know, whether it be that he wanted the kid to succeed or he wanted to succeed as a conductor. There's like so many ways to like read that, that ending, but it created great art. And like that, that might be the whole point of the movie is Damien Chazelle is like, Hey, sometimes like people are going to get fucking hurt. Yeah. He's a, you know, he's a prospector too, mining for gold all his own. Yeah. 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 And I love that ending is just, you know, I've, every time I watch it, I come away thinking something different. Like, Oh, yep. You know, Miles Teller beat him. He won his own way or no Fletcher broke him to the point where, you know, he, he owns his ass. Now there's, it's completely different every time. It's so good. Um, yeah. And yeah, Miles Teller, I mean, not, I'm uh, Chazelle is basically, I think he's saying, you know, art's fucking scary. And if you can't hack it, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's hard. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. It's terrifying, but you know, you got to be able to roll with the punches and those punches are going to fucking hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Got to have pretty thick skin. I, I, I love that moment. When, when you, you know, we were just talking about when, when JK's, you know, like, come on, let's, let's see, let's hear it. I love when you go to Paul Reiser. Yeah. You see his, you see his face like through the door and he's like, is that my kid? You know, like I had no idea. He's almost frightened. He's like, where, what is that? Yeah. What is that? That machine that's on the drum kit right now. So few people on earth or in history have that kind of passion for anything. And to witness that is truly special. Yeah, straight up, totally, totally. God, what a what a movie! <laughs> That's you know the best part about this is we have Whiplash, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, No Country for Old Men, and Unforgiven. You know, like the, I love these movies. Uh, I love it. Um, all right, Javier Bardem versus Gene Hackman. Ah, oh, that's a West. That's a western. Place to see. Yeah, yeah. The old West versus the new West. Mm. Nice Eastwood yes. versus the Coens. Goddamn. Oh yeah, <laughs> Jesus! I didn't even think about it that way. Two best picture winners. Yeah, damn man. Oh jeez, <laughs> two incredible villains, you know, conquering in their own way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta, you know, I gotta go with uh, my tried and true loyalty. This goes to Javier. Javier Bardem. Yes, I had a feeling. I had a feeling this is the way it was gonna go. Yeah. Uh, you got two, you know this is two devils compete you know competing for for the top yeah. spot here. <laughs> yeah, in, in my opinion, it's kind of like it's coin. It's funny. It's a coin toss <laughs> uh, <laughs> between these two. I, I don't see a wrong answer. It's really just what you prefer, which movie, which role. They both mean a hell of a lot to each film. They're both churning out you know just great work. There's not really a dull moment in either movie. 
especially when they're on the screen. So I right, pick your poison, my man. J.K. Simmons as Terrence Fletcher versus Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh. Yes. God, that is a match made in hell. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I do not want to be the third guy in that room. <laughs> no, man. Oh, boy. You're either going to get that air cannon through the head or you're going to get a symbol thrown at you. I, either one. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, this is this is powerful. No country. I watched that for the first time when I was like pretty – I was about midway through the Coen's work. I was in Maryland, and my uncle was like, this movie came out. It's awesome. you got to see this. I think – but yeah, and I was like, okay. And I – I, I watched it and I couldn't look away. I was just like, this is crazy. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know. Like what? The, the hero's dead? Like what? Are you kidding me? Anton's getting away? What the shit? And it's just like, it breaks all conventions and leaves you hanging in the best way. Cause it's not what's supposed to happen. You know, the devil is not supposed to escape. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, it's great. But then, you know, whiplash. When I saw that, I didn't. I hadn't watched a trailer. I had no idea what to expect with Whiplash. I just mm. remember people saying like, "This is really good," and so I went and holy hell, I was just like enamored. I'm like, "This is evil and scary," but holy shit, do I want to learn how to play the drums? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> and yeah, Whiplash has just become such an important part of like my film canon of this show of just the best that this, you know, the past decade had to offer it thrust JK Simmons into a spotlight. He always deserved. And it gave Jamie and Chazelle a chance to have a really exciting, cool career that is continuing this fall with Babylon. So it goes to JK Simmons. Beautiful. Beautiful. JK is the winner of our Oscar Sunday, best supporting actor winners tournament. Very cool. That was a blast. Uh, I kind of knew what the outcome was going to be because yeah. I know you. You know me at all. It was, it was no surprise. <laughs> you know what? Just like Howard and uh, Churza Sierra Madre, it's all about the journey, baby. It's all about the 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 hunt. The you know that discovery and and getting getting you know from point A to point B. The space between the notes. I I, I had fun listening to you talk about all these people. Um, that was yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> and I like Howard. I cannot wait for the next mountain. <laughs> exactly there will be another bracket one day we've done this uh like three or four times now on this show it's been a long time though and i kind of forgot how cool it was to just kind of lay everything out there and and look back on our show and also get to talk about these guys that we're obsessed with uh ah, good shit good shit uh you know the the funny thing is is uh, i was hoping walter brennan's performance and come and get it would like have something to say, you know? Yeah. Doesn't really cut it. Doesn't really... <laughs> no, I honestly, like, I don't think this a lot when I see movies, but this was a situation where I'm like, I feel like I could have done that. <laughs> like, uh, yes. I don't even know how to act, but I can do a fake Swedish accent, accent and act like a lumberjack for a while. It's like, I don't think I'd get an Oscar. <laughs> Probably not, right? Yeah, I don't really, I don't really understand, you know. And this guy won three, so now I'm like, okay, do I need to see the Westerner? Do I need to see these other movies now that he won for, or am I okay? <laughs> the Westerner, I feel, I think that's Gary Cooper. So I think you that know, would we, be a fun yeah. one. Yeah, regardless of what Walter Brennan's doing, I mean, we love <laughs> Gary Cooper, so you know. 
I hope the Swedish thing's not something he just committed to for most of his career. And he's just randomly a Swede in every movie because that would irritate me. <laughs> yeah, that would that would suck. <laughs> that, would, that would not be fun. I just uh, kept thinking of Mac as the Swedish plumber. I am a Swedish plumber. I come to fix your pipes. Oh, dude. I, I meant to tell you this most recent episode of Welcome to Wrexham uh, with, you know, of course, Rob and, and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, episode nine, I think there's like going to be, there's going to be a lot like the season. They just, they, they filmed a lot of stuff, but they finally in this episode fly to, to Wales to watch their team play after they've owned them for like almost a year because of COVID and because of different things that were going on, uh, limited, um, limited, you know, fans at the games. And also Ryan Reynolds is like, I'm kind of busy. (laughs) And Rob's like, I can go, (laughs) you know, uh, it's, it's very funny watching those two guys, but man, watching them to walk onto the field, they, cause they went there for like a week. They went to Wrexham uh, into Wales and, you know, they got, they got honored by, you know, different, different groups of people and people were chanting their names, you know, and they're like, we have Deadpool, we have Deadpool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, watching them get there. And like, one of the first things they do is they tour their, the stadium that they've been paying for and that they've been, you know, trying to basically, you know, they're, they're trying to, trying to grow the club. Cause that's what you're supposed to do when you buy something, you're trying to make it, make it bigger. And, you know, they, they put new seats in and put new, new grass into the field. And when they walk out, it's just them two, and there's no one in the stands. They're both like looking around, like, "Yeah, this is worth it. Like, this is really worth it. Like, doing all this, all the, all the like the the money, the legwork, and the the stress of owning something that people care about. They're like, this is yeah. Like, we we like feel a connection to to Wrexham Wales right now. It's really cool. Like, brought me to tears. I was like, damn, because I I really like both of those guys. You know, obviously Mac is like one of my heroes, you know, like as far as TV goes, cause he not only plays, you know, plays Mac, he writes, you know, he writes for the show and is pretty much the main mind behind it's always sunny in Philadelphia. So watching him kind of in his own life and his real life and like what he, how passionate he is about it is, is like chilling. It's really, really cool. I, I like that show more than I thought I would, you know, and all because of the Swedish plumber thing, you know, it made me kind of re rehab those, those, those thoughts. That's great. I'm glad Walter Brennan could do that for, for us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Walter Brennan. I wish you were better and come and get it, <laughs> but we do need to do some awards for the movie. You know, we, we watched it. We picked awards. Mine are kind of like funny, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, like my, my Tarantino, for example, is very silly. <laughs> uh goes on goes along the lines of you know walter brennan's weird accent um so we have that tarantino the ennio morricone award for for the score which is just fine there's some cute music moments you know it's it's pretty run in the mill uh the philip summer hoffman award for the best performance i in my opinion there's kind of one person at the forefront for that one but we'll see what you think and then the roger deacons award for the best scene of the movie so take it away with your tarantino whenever you're ready all right um yeah this is uh barney glasgow says a lot of uh, a lot of gems in this this boisterous lumberjack tycoon who has i mean you know we all you know the heart wants what the heart wants but come on <laughs> yeah yeah 
Jesus <laughs> Christ. There's there's no way to excuse this one. Um, no. But I went with the uh, kind of the so- like one of the sources of the film's title. It's when he's uh, Barney's trying to argue about buying all this land at the beginning of the movie. And uh, I keep forgetting Walter Brennan's character's name. Uh, Swan. Swan. I keep wanting to say salt, and I know that's not right. <laughs> but um, he's uh, like, you know, that's illegal. And Barney's like, yeah, okay. But who wouldn't pick up a million dollars lying at their feet yelling, come and get it? Like, wow, you're a greedy son of a bitch, aren't you? Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> that's what I, yeah, that's what I went with. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the way come and get it is used is is funny through, through the movie. Like, like, ah, clever. That's the title of the film. You're gonna gonna bring it in here. Uh, Edward Arnold is 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 doing his best, right? He's he's going for it as Barney, and he he does some. He's a bigger. He's a big fella, broad shoulders. Really fills out the the full you know three piece suit that he wears. And I think he looks great. I think it's awesome, and I like when he kind of raises his voice and kind of gets like kind of into it. Those are my favorite moments of the movie, where it's like if he's like feeling it. The movie is benefiting from it. And when he says, come and get it, it's great. <laughs> Just come and get it before we yeah. send it to the dogs. There's a, like, <laughs> Jesus. Every time he says, come and get it, I keep picturing dark helmet and space balls turning to the camera and being like, everybody got that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, like yeah. You know, your audience is stupid. <laughs> uh, to, to, to go with Swan, my guy Swan, uh, uh, Walter Brennan, my, my Tarantino, because it made me literally. I was I had to rewind it. I was like, "What the fuck did he just say?" <laughs> and I, I was uh, I was I was in I was in my bedroom and Brianna was asleep, and I think I woke her up because I was just like cackling like a like a child. It's when he yells "Yumpin' Yemeni," <laughs> I was like, "Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa!" Was that in a movie that won him an Oscar? <laughs> Like, yumpin' yemini, you know, and that's that's his stupid Swedish accent. It made me laugh. I was like, I don't know what else to choose for the Tarantino. It's not the strongest screenplay of all time, you know? <laughs> so I want something that made me laugh. It made me feel something. That is such a weird decision. Like, I... Yeah. Did he do any research? Like, did he look up any... Like, did he go talk to any Swedes and see, like, how, do you, how do you do your dialect? Or was he just like, like, you know, hello, hello, yellow... Okay, I got it. It's like what? But yeah, it, he sounds like Chekhov in Star Trek. It's weird. Yeah, it's it's like it's like Mac and it's always sunny. It's like the same thing. <laughs> like just what? No research. No, like that you sound terrible. <laughs> Unreal. Um, I did have a runner up, and it's again early on in the movie because I started to realize like, oh, this is one of those movies. So I started to kind of like think like, all right, maybe I can knock this out early. And just zone out for the rest of this thing. But then it ended up not happening. Um, some movies, uh, I'm like, let's get this over with so I can just not think about this anymore. <laughs> Isn't this? That's exactly how I feel. Oh, man. That's great. Like, I uh, I don't know. I don't, it's not a horrible movie. We're not trying to shit on it, but I, I don't really recommend it. Like, to the general movie person, like, it's old as dirt. And it's like, not one of the gems from that decade. Yeah. It's just not. There's a weird moment where it randomly drops like a version of the N word. That's like, why even say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, oh Jesus. <sighs> Got it. But 
I did have a runner up early on where Barney Glasgow gets introduced and uh, he says something about like, I don't know, he, he stands up for a little guy who gets like knocked over and these three big guys like go to attack him. And Barney's like, now listen, boys, don't start anything you can't finish. You may be sorry. And then he like fake attacks all these guys and knocks them all down with one punch. And they're like, yeah, hey, Barney, aren't you awesome? And I'm like, what yeah, the is this <laughs> B- Barney's the sheriff in town. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he owns the, he's like the boss and then he's the, the owner. And then he's like the partner. He's I, he's like Lionel Barrymore and James Stewart. And it's a wonderful life in like the same person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just all empowering. Yeah. Just, you can't stop Barney. <laughs> and there is like no comeuppance or no like moment of recollect of like reflection he's very much like i am gonna bang that young woman who kind of looks who looks exactly like the woman that i let get away yeah and her and her name is is like lada yeah both times and and i was thinking i i kept thinking of of course austin powers like when you know a lot of a lot of vagina (laughs) i was like jesus my like i can't focus (laughs) focus on this goddamn movie uh <laughs> that's fantastic is, is there a part of the score that jumped out to you or a music moment there actually there actually was okay. um, so i guess to show off what they were capable of doing in 1936 i noticed a lot of films in 30s are like look what regular life looks like and also there's a movie uh but they yeah. really go hard on the um the logging scenes to show yeah. how logging is done in 1936 in, in, I think, Wisconsin. And those scenes, the montage of, like, the logs being blasted to pieces, like, they're just showing off. And this score is, like, you know, like some epic, like, you know, Lawrence of Arabia trekking the desert music. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, just, it's just trees blowing up. It's like, can we go back to the story here? Like, this is cool, but do we need, like, 10 minutes of this? Yeah, I, I I chose the same thing. I, I wrote down logging, like just logging, and, and it was like when I was watching that, I was like, should I just find a logging documentary <laughs> and, and and skip the movie altogether? I, I don't really know. Maybe I'll learn something. I'm not sure. <laughs> it looked complex. Like they just blow up the trees, like a lot of dynamite involved, and then they just let it soak down the river. It's like I I didn't know I needed this for the. It, it had no bearing on the story whatsoever. Because then he just no. Moves. Yeah, I think they were just like, we need a filler. We need something that, and it's it's a way of. I'm sure they filmed this really happening with some company, and they're like, we don't have to pay for certain stuff. We don't have to, you know. It's just, it, it it worked. It worked. You know, I I thought it was interesting, but also made me wonder, just kind of like, why, why, why is this happening? And and you know, one of the things I thought about a lot with like this Barney character and just kind of the the rise that he has to just being like Daniel Plainview, like I'm going to fucking control it all. It was like, man, Citizen Kane was only made five years after this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, wow. Like there's a reason that movie is still so like exalted because it, 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 it looks, you know, it's black and white and it looks old, but boy, oh boy, does it still stand the test of time as far as storytelling goes and performances and writing compared to something like this. Yep. Thank you, Mank. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even more astonishingly, like this movie's directed by Howard Hawks and William Wyler. Okay. So I read about that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of them, like they basically split time. 
like I think Hawks was first, and Hawks was like, eh, like nah. <laughs> this ain't <laughs> this ain't working. And Weiler came in and was like, I'll save the movie. Oh my! God. And like they had this like little rivalry about it or whatever. And so I was I was reading about it. And I was like, that's like that's really interesting. You know, these two monumental people, and they both like shortly after essentially disowned the movie. And we're like, that's not mine. Oh my god! <laughs> like, like both of them were like, "That's not in my catalog," and the other guy's like, "Well, it's not mine." <laughs> Hawks is like, "Well, Weiler, you finished it, so it's yours." <laughs> and Weiler's like, "You started it, Hawks. Like, you know, like how was I supposed to change the tone of the movie completely? You know, and like there, there's just these two, two giants that are like, no, that's not me. Like that ain't that ain't my work. <laughs> that is awesome and really deflating." Yeah, it is. It really is. I was just like, oh, you know, that's the kind of that's, that kind of sucks, you know. But why I I also thought like, why is this on Amazon Prime? Like, you know, because I, I was I was looking for movies. You know, I'm I'm constantly looking for for an Oscar Sunday. Like, are we going to be able to watch it? Is it is it is it something other people could watch so they can watch it and and listen to us talk about it? Because that's like part of the experience is. If you're listening to a podcast, of course, you want to know what the fuck they're talking about. And I, I wouldn't want to, you know, it's it's not as easy to do a, a 30s movies like uh, Shanghai Express was such a chance thing. It was like, oh, you found it on DVD. Therefore, we both felt like we have to do this. I don't expect people to listen to that episode as much as something like this. Because it's very hard to find Shanghai Express. Yeah, this is on one of the biggest streaming services in, in this part of the world. It's like why? Like who was like, man? We gotta have come and get it on our catalog. Like, I like I wonder about those things. You know, is there someone who's like, we need to have more old movies? That's cool. That'd be great. If there's someone who works for that part of the company and is like, we need to have more old movies so that like people like freakazoids like Austin and Connor can watch these old movies and talk about them. You know, I just wonder what it is because I don't hear anybody talking about this movie. Well, and also, like, if they're gonna, you know, buy up older film, like, get something like Shanghai Express that is good and something I'm gonna go back to because it was a really decent flick. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if I trip up on Shanghai Express and I watch it on Amazon Prime in my own time, and then I'm like, I might buy this movie. You know, like, it has that effect on you. Yeah. We, we, we didn't know that when we watched it, but, like, it can have that effect on somebody. You know, something massive, like, it happened one night. If a 17-year-old who's like getting into movies watches that and they're like, oh, this is pretty fucking good. I see what people are talking about. That's like worth it to like invest in that movie being in your catalog because it might get people to keep going and like start start this whole, you know, tornado. This is a movie where if you watch it and you're like starting to get into movies, you're like, ah, I don't know about I don't know about the 30s, man. Like, I I don't know if if they're all going to be like that. It's a t- it's not like an easy watch, you know? It's not like super entertaining. Yeah, some of these decades you got to parade your your greatest hits. You got to parade the classics, the ones that people are going to want to watch and watch many times. The ones that are going to st- spark conversation. And come and get come and get it just isn't like this is probably the last time I'm ever going to even talk about this movie honestly. Well, here's the thing about this though is when we do have a movie that we both aren't as, you know, crazy about, 
it ends up coming back just because we're like, remember, come and get it. That's true. That's true. It does just become like a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is not the worst we've seen, you know, through the show by, by no stretch of the imagination. You know, Fanny. We watched Fanny because of this show. Come and get it is head and shoulders above Fanny. Didn't I recently have a movie that we like we watched that like we said was worse than Fanny? I think we did. What would it be? Um, I... Would it be something from 1972? Because we did that not that long ago on no, uh, a showdown. Yeah. The Emigrants and Sounder weren't you know great, but they weren't like horrific. And we liked Cabaret yeah. and The Godfather, of course. Yeah. Was there a fifth? There was a, there's a fifth there. <laughs> oh, um, um, Deliverance. Oh, well, yeah. that's not. No, yeah, it's not. No. Not in that camp either. Um, yeah. Well, we did nineteen. We did nineteen eighty six uh, on episode one hundred and ten. Let me. All right, looking that up here. Children of Lesser God, Platoon. No, no. Yeah, I don't know. I remember but having I that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it wasn't that year. It wasn't no because. Like the mission again was not great, but it wasn't like, horrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. All right. This is going to keep going. I'm going to figure this out myself. There's got, yeah. I feel like there was a, like a, a movie as bad as Fanny that we both were like, nope. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, while we think of that, or while it's kind of in the back of our heads, the Philip Simmerhoffen Award, I feel like it goes to a certain person, but I, I, I don't know what you have. I, um, you'd think that the, you know, the, Everything I've been saying about Edward Arnold, it would be him, but uh, no, really, yeah. Did you did you go with uh, the the lady who plays two people? I did. Okay, yeah. I went Edward Arnold. I went Edward Arnold because I he like carries the movie, but that is she plays a a, a mother and a daughter, and and she does pretty good. Frances Farmer. Yes, yes, she does. And I what I, why I picked her is she makes both those characters feel like two separate people. Mm. And I feel like for you know what she had to work with, that's impressive because she did not have much to work with. And both characters are interesting people. You know, this lady who just kind of showed up in town but is too proud to get any help, and then ends up you know shacking up with fucking goddamn it, what is it again? Swan. Okay, Swan. Yeah, it's just, Swan Bostrom. It's just not staying in here. Um. And then this, the daughter, who's just this kind of like, you know, wide-eyed, kind of innocent child who doesn't realize this older dude is leering over her the entire time. And the movie was Anchors Away. Oh, yeah. 1945, Best Picture yeah. Showdown, mm-hmm. Lost Weekend. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anchors Away. No, thank you. Like, yeah, pretty bad. Pretty fucking bad. But Frances Farmer, I feel, does deliver quite a decent performance, and you kind of just feel bad for her, because she's like, I just want my family to be happy, but in order to do that, I gotta pretty much go with whatever this old dude is wanting me to do, and when she has that moment of like, you know, don't hit him, he's just an old man. It's like, ouch! Yeah. (laughs) Like, right there (laughs) knowing that, like, not only do you have no chance, you never had a chance. She never even considered you in that way. Yeah. Yeah, and in then fact, she, like, in fact, she may have she may have used you, big big old fucking Barney. And then you get cucked by your own son. So not not a great day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not not a great day indeed. 
I chose Edward Arnold. Yeah, guy, I, I, I thought he was great. Um, I'm I'm with you. I'm starting to starting to really respond to his work and like him a lot. And uh, he he's in a lot of this fucking movie. You know, he's in nearly every frame. And uh, my Deacons has a lot to do with choosing him. Um, so I'll let you talk about your your favorite scene, and then I'll, I'll give mine. It is that that scene at the end when um, Barney catches his son and Lada yeah. having yeah. A, having a sweet little kiss after he specifically told him not to, <laughs> and it's just like you know you son of a bitch like there's no like it's, it's immediately like you know that's my girl, which is this whole situation is so fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love I love uh, Edward Arnold does the like the slap to his son and then he then he fucking just punches the shit out of him you know and his son gets back up and that's when you have yeah he's just an old man don't fight him you know and his face when he's like get out of here like he turned from like edward arnold to like a demon in that that like split second he was like get out you know just fucking it was scary and i was like damn like i edward arnold just changed complete his demeanor completely changed and and like made me fall in love with that scene. And then he goes downstairs and he's like, he's straight up lost it. And yeah. Ding 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 ding. Come and get it. <laughs> and he's like uh, sobbing, but he's yeah. Not only did he lose, you know, the girl he should have ended up with and her daughter. Yeah. But he also he, has probably lost his son too. Hard to yep. forgive when your dad like gives you a quick, you know, movie slap and then punches you on the ground and says, you know, that's my girl. Like, forgive that one. <laughs> yeah, probably going to be some trauma. They're going to have to get through there. Yeah. You're not in the will. <laughs> that's nope. I'm, af- I'm afraid not. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was clearly like the most impactful scene where I was like, okay, that was a good finale. I'm glad I watched. I felt genuinely I felt for as much as like we've been laughing at it. I genuinely felt like I'm glad I watched that for me. Yeah, for me, for the sh- for the show, for me, for just the experience of watching an hour and a half old movie. It's another one to put under the belt and just kind of like, all right, you know, we keep moving. The first best supporting actor win. That's significant. So I have, you know, I have that. And really, I just I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think that like the premise of this thing is so insane that like I can't imagine like pitching this. I mean, it's pre-code, so like I get why they were able to be like, "Yeah, we can border on incest." Sure. <laughs> it's like, eesh. yeah, yeah. I, I feel the exact same way, man. You know, just like, like who is like this needs to be made. <laughs> you know, you know, it's one of those things. And the '30s are '30s, '40s, and sometimes the '50s are filled with stuff like that, where you're just kind of like, "What?" When, but it make it makes you appreciate the gems when you take into account that every film ever made was somebody's like lifelong vision really makes you wonder how fucked up some people are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, was, this is fun though. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fun to have this every now, and, uh, every now and again, you know, last week we did a gladiator and it was like, ah, oh, you know, every scene is the Deacons, you know, it was like one of those just like shadows. Kinda, and dust. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Strength and honor. <laughs> it's fucking like, Super tough episode. Uh, now we got Yump and Yemeni. <laughs> yeah, my my Tarantino for last week was like this long stretch of dialogue. <laughs> I 
yeah, Maximus Decimus Meridius. And this was <laughs> yumping the God damn it. Uh, I'm always going to think of now Walter Brennan and Rob McElhaney. Uh, like, they're just, they're the same person now. Like, <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, the Ninth Academy Awards, it was, you know, it was up for best film editing. And then, of course, Walter Brennan won best supporting actor. Uh, my my this this has been happening my shit's not loading up so uh if you yep. could i got it could right pull here. it up uh, it's only two categories so we'll whip through these real quick and get the hell out of here all right you want to start with film editing yeah why not all right best film editing at the ninth academy awards anthony adverse took the took the award uh nominated against come and get it the great ziegfeld lloyds of london a tale of two cities and theodora goes wild so does does Theodora go wild? <laughs> I mean, pre-code, there's a good chance. <laughs> <laughs> she loses her mind. Yeah. Uh yeah. Um, I, I think the movie that, that jumps out to me that I would like to see is Anthony Adverse. I've just it's it's a movie that was out for a bunch of shit. I've always always wanted to see it. Um I like Lloyd's of London. It's a great title. Is that like a store? Sounds like a store. Yeah, it does. Um, it does sound like <laughs> I have the great Ziegfeld. I, I bought it. You know, I'm buying the winners. I'm stockpiling in case of emergency. Really, that's what I do. Yeah. Movies now, but um, I'd like to see that. I have. I think that's probably going to be pretty decent. Uh, biopic of, uh, I think, a famous composer. So, yeah, yeah, that is that is something that's going to get brought up on this show at some point. Uh, and this was correct me if I'm wrong. This is one of the years where they called it. Like earlier on, they called it outstanding production, right? Uh, For best picture, outstanding production. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. And that's uh, how many movies are in that category? Like ten? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on the dot. Yeah. So that's oh man, that's gonna be really hard to do because some of those are bound to be very tough to find. Mm, yeah. Some of the I have one. I have Mr. Deeds goes to town. That would be a fun episode. That's a Frank Capra. And a Gary Cooper. So. I've heard that one's great. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you know you have you have the winner. Uh, Anthony Adverse is in there. I know that. I, I want to see uh, Dodsworth because that's where Walter Houston also was was up. Um, yeah, I don't really off the top of my head know what else would like would be available. I don't know, but Anthony Adverse is um, Frederick March and Olivia De Havilland. So that's yeah, uh, that's, that's reaching out to me. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely reaching out. Olivia De Havilland is uh, one of our ladies, so it'd be cool to see like one of her earlier earlier performances. Um, yeah, th- there's there's some stuff here. I mean, I would I want to do every best picture movie ever at some point, so we will try our hardest to watch all ten of those at some point in the future. Just I don't know when it's actually going to happen. Um, it's, it's tough when you have to do ten, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, best supporting actor. Uh, who who did Walter Brennan beat? Walter Brennan beat Misha Auer for My Man Godfrey, Stuart Irwin for Pigskin Parade, Basil Rathbone for Romeo and Juliet, and Akim Tamirov for The General Died at Dawn. Huh. Interesting. I've only heard of Basil Rathbone. I haven't heard of those other three guys. Yeah, and I don't like know what any of these movies are except for Rathbone and Romeo and Juliet. Uh, what What is Pigskin Parade? Is that what you said? Pigskin Parade. I smell football, and I am right. Yep. <laughs> Hell yeah! It's basically Pig 1936 skin. Friday Night Lights. Awesome. Pigskin Parade. That's great. Uh, 
yeah, I wonder, I wonder what kind of competition was there. You know, uh, I'm sure those movies are very hard to find. My man Godfrey, I've heard of that. It's William Powell, who I I think is hilarious. I don't know if you've seen uh, the Finman. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. He's funny. And uh, the general died at dawn. Uh, a mercenary meets a beautiful girl while trying to keep arms from getting to a vicious warlord in war-torn China. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm always interested to learn about more stuff and these old ceremonies, like half the shit, we don't even know what the hell it is. So like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's fun. I like not knowing stuff sometimes, you know, like we, we go to these, these more recent ceremonies if it's like, you're so familiar with the work, you know where to find it. These old ones, it's a different ballgame. Yeah, for sure. In fact, it becomes almost like, you know, a eureka <laughs> moment when you actually track one of these films down. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, next week on this show, we're, we're, we're staying pretty old school. I'm super excited. Um, before I mention that, I will say on Wednesday, we are doing an absolute classic on Filmgasm. A little bit of hocus pocus in honor of the new one that's coming out, I believe, on Friday. Uh, I believe that's going to be on like Disney Plus, right? Yeah, Disney Plus. Yeah. And, uh, reviews are not yet out. I don't expect them to be kind. They weren't kind with the first movie, but yeah, I'm whatever. Gonna, yeah, I'm gonna let. I'm gonna determine this for myself. Yeah, you know, I'll watch it probably. Uh, probably on the weekend, I'll, I'll check it out. You know, I, I like Hocus Pocus, so it'll be fun to just go back down memory lane. Maybe watch both. You know, listen listen to the Filmgasm episode. I'm excited for that. And then uh, on Beyond the Bad, Jean-Claude Van Damme, a little bit of kickboxer. Let's go. Kickboxer. Yeah. Jean-Claude, you know, the muscles from Brussels, the almost alone, as I like to call him, didn't quite get there, but he had a couple hits and, you know, kickboxer is one of those. uh, It's got some fan love, but critically reviled. So, you know, perfect uh, opportunity for us to lampoon it and really go after Jean-Claude Van Damme. I love going after people. It's become one of my favorite things to do. (laughs) Like, I, I skewered Fred Durst this past week. I don't know if you got to check that out. Oh, dude. Okay. So Fred Durst, like, uh, I did listen to some of that, you know, of course the lead man for one of the worst bands that's ever existed. Lint Biscuit. Uh, he, he, I feel like he's directed a few movies, hasn't he? Yep. That, 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 yep. That comes up. He's the fanatics, his third movie. And, Which is uh, crazy. It's like, how did this guy keep getting work as a director? I know. I, I personally, I think there should be a three strikes law in Hollywood. And if you're going to, you know, fuck up three times, get out. But, you know, that should just apply to Fred Durst. His first three strikes were their first three albums. <laughs> get him the hell out of here. I, I should never have been a director in a, for a movie. I love that this is this is infected Oscar Sunday. Like it's now it's gotten into this now. So now I got to talk about it on film games. <laughs> Yeah, fuck Fred Durst. Uh, just one of those days. <laughs> you don't want to wake up. Uh, that guy's a piece of shit. Uh, finally, next week on this show, I'm super excited to finally do this movie. We both had it kind of circled for a long time just because it seems very fascinating. Neither of us have seen it. Uh, we're doing back-to-back movies neither of us have seen. That's very rare. We don't do that very often. It's 1952's Viva Zapata, which was up for... Five total Oscars at the 25th Academy Awards. Uh, Anthony Quinn won for Best Supporting Actor, which will be a very interesting topic for you and I to talk about because I know you read a whole book about him and you are, you know, working as we speak on some stuff in school 
that has to do with this very kind of movie, a movie like Viva Zapata that probably should have casted different people <laughs> for, for, for some of the roles. Uh, you know, Mr. Marlon Brando uh, was also up for best lead actor. It's a, it's a screenplay by John Steinbeck. It's up for best art direction. It's up for best score. Like we, we got a lot to talk about next week. Uh, I wouldn't expect a, um, you know, best supporting actor tournament next week. This is going to be more talking about the film, whether we like it or not. There's a lot to talk about. A lot on our plates next week. Yes, that's for damn sure. Yeah, I'm I'm working on digging into you know misrepresentation of Hispanic filmmakers and actors in the 20th century, and Viva Zapata is right there. I mean, you've got Anthony Quinn right there, and you give the lead role of Emiliano Zapata, a like rev- Mexican revolutionary, to Marlon fucking Brando. I'll save it, but Connor's getting upset. Yeah, Con- Connor's getting upset, and rightly so. And you also have a a woman from Canton, Ohio, playing. You know, Jean Peters is her name. Like that's the person you're gonna you're gonna cast as Josepha Zapata. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's gonna be a lot to say and a lot to talk about, like what the issues were throughout you know the 20th century in filmmaking and how we're still reeling from it today. Uh, so I'm excited, man. It's gonna be a t- totally different route than we've ever gone on on Oscar Sunday. Unfortunately, Viva Zapata is not really available anywhere to just on streaming, but it is a movie that's in the stream of consciousness. You know, people do know about it. It is available to rent places. I highly recommend you you check that movie out, come back and listen to us talk about it. Um, I'm super excited. Uh, again, uncharted territory for us. And that that's exciting. Always. Oh, uh, this was an absolute blast. This, this tournament we did again, Mr. JK Simmons won the tournament, beat out Javier Bardem. Uh, that was that was like absolutely fantastic to 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 just go through all those all those uh, performances and, and talk about them with you. I had a blast. We'll be trying to do more stuff like that in the future, where it's kind of this all encompassing conversation uh, about our show and about movies and certain categories. I really like doing that. So this is great. Uh, keep keep listening to us. Keep following us on you know Instagram, Twitter, Facebook uh, at Filmgasm. Check out our website. Got shit going on every day and. Always, always something in the works with us. You know, we're, we're always trying to come up with new ideas, new, new ideas for, for shows, for articles, whatever it may be, and trying to enhance the movie experience for everyone. Uh, so we'll see you guys on Wednesday for Hocus Pocus.